Hello and welcome to Grace Unscripted, where we share stories of the people in and around Grace Church without any script, just real, raw conversations about life change through Jesus. I'm your host, Audrey Wallace, and today's conversation is with Pastor Nate Rail. Nate is the pastor of family ministries, but we talk about his entire life and how ice cream and chainsaws, and soccer, and Russia, and even Donald Trump come into play to tie his whole story together. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey, Nate, thanks for being here. Yeah, this is awesome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No problem. Well, Nate, this is an exciting episode because just recently we shared Kelsey's episode, and Kelsey Rail is your wife. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah. Hope I can... (laughs) Be pretty good as well. <laughs> I think it's fun when we get to hear spouses' stories because you there's so much of your life that's before you met, but then there's so much. You guys are probably about 50-50 at this point, of yeah. even more so based on Kelsey's story yeah, of when yeah. you met. So I'm very excited to hear your version, your you know um, foundation, and then how your experience was in your life together. So let's kick off here. I'm curious to know, so you're a pastor here at Grace Church. What um, area are you the pastor of? And just explain that real quick before we dive in further. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so pastor of adult ministries. Okay, and, what does uh, that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit more of an oversight role. So okay. under um, kind of my purview of responsibility, I work with our sports ministry, mm-hmm. our marriage and care ministry, and then our small groups. And so leading those teams, helping those teams uh, be healthy and provide opportunities for our church to grow and reach people and all the fun things are happening, all the opportunities. So it's uh, it's a big job. Um, yeah. Big part of what I do is try to support the staff, support the other pastors that are under me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And then recently, been able to jump into helping with some men's ministry, women's ministry, mm-hmm. and we think about that as a way to how do we help specifically minister to men or minister to women, mm-hmm. and then help them and find discipleship relationships. So. That can be across the board, right? Some of them are in marriages, some of them are single, mm-hmm. some of them are coming out of divorce, yeah. some of them are redating. And so just looking across our ecosystem and saying, um, there's opportunities, some are gonna be programs that people can jump into, some are just gonna be um, people that have a passion to start something new. Mm-hmm. And so how do we come around our church family and help equip them yeah leaders. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, I love doing that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure we'll get more to how you got there. Sure. Um, but just kind of rewinding it back and getting to know uh, the early days of, of Nate Rail. Let's talk about where you grew up. Um, I, again, having known Kelsey's story, you grew up in Ohio, right? I did. Right here in I the Akron area? Yep. So my family kind of has some deep roots in the green area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, when I was growing up, it was more of a township. Now it's more developed into mm-hmm. a city. Yep. And um, my <clears throat> going way back, um, there was a time where the rails had a, about a 175-acre farm. Wow. And then really that got expensive, and they couldn't afford the taxes, so they sold that off. That property got later developed by kind of a developer. But growing up as a kid, we my dad bought a piece of property, um, three acres down in green, adjacent to that original farm. And then my aunt still had the original farmhouse, which was just kind of reduced to 10 acres. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> from my dad's house to my aunt's house, we basically just considered that our backyard. Yeah, that and sounds like a wonderful childhood. Yeah, so um, I had four brothers. I'm the second oldest of five, five boys. And so, I mean, there were days where we said, see you, mom. We got our, our mm-hmm. BB guns or our toys, <laughs> and we would be off in the woods and out to the next lake and come home for dinner. Mm-hmm. And so that was you know, 
big part of our life was kind of stomping around those parts of green and grandparents lived down there um so yeah it was a kind of a country kid in some ways yeah um growing up um you know fell in love with soccer early on so that became a kind of a, a big part of my life and uh <clears throat> ways that I got involved um so yeah the uh I would say that you know a couple of funny stories about my childhood maybe yeah um, bring it on so I don't know when you when you're a rail there's two things that really come to mind food and work so you'll probably hear a lot of that okay. as we go through <laughs> this um so my mom used to go to Smith Dairy and um it was like ice cream day and um she would go down there and Smith Dairy had at the time, what they called seconds. Mm-hmm. So you could get a half gallon of ice cream for like a dollar fifty. So she would go down there with three or four coolers, and she would load up like thirty to forty half gallons of ice cream, bring them home, <laughs> and we would have a, just a stock full of them in our freezer chest. What a and, smart woman of five boys. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I'm not kidding. Almost every night, like that was the routine, and we would just plow through ice cream. Um, there's probably years where I would have ice cream 300 nights a year. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and other fun things like that were we only were allowed to eat candy on Sundays. That's a really good rule that I might start doing. And so, you know, besides the fact that we just overate yep. candy on Sundays. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, I was, I had a small group once in New Jersey when we lived out there and we'll get to that. But one night they were like, hey, what's, what's like a, a a thing that, like a food thing that you did as a kid growing up. Yeah. And um, I was like, well, I used to eat my cereal with Oreos. So we would put Oreo cookies all the way around our bowl of cereal (laughs) (laughs) until they would get like (laughs) soft and soggy. And um, that was like a real thing. We just, ice cream, candy, Oreos. So daily ice cream, candy on Sundays, (laughs) and Oreos in every bowl of cereal. Yeah. Perfect. So you've got like raisin bran, you know, (laughs) and then Oreos on the outside. What fun! This was that was uh, I don't I don't know. We just my mom said after we all moved out, she probably saved like seven hundred dollars <laughs> a week <laughs> in food. Um, I believe that. Yeah, so that you know, there's I have a lot of good memories like that. Um, a big thing that I remember growing up, um, outside of soccer, and we'll talk about that more. But um, we worked hard. Mm-hmm. Like we were a, a hardworking family. I remember the first story my dad said, um, kind of told me about. You know, learning the value of hard work, he used to go and work on his uncle's dairy farm mm-hmm. <clears throat> for the summer. And so he would, you know, be up at 3.34 milking cows, and that was just kind of what you did. And um, I spent a lot of – my dad was an elder at his church, and so spent a lot of Saturdays uh, helping widows, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing different projects and stuff. We were always kind of the family that the church called mm-hmm. for something like that. And so I, I appreciated um, – the values that my dad instilled and the opportunities that we had to see an example mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, I think at 13, I had my first chainsaw for Christmas. Wow. wow. Um, <laughs> so oh, I would get high, I would get hired out. Thir- well, your 13-year-old might be <laughs> asking does. for a chainsaw for Christmas because this sounds like a bloodline that is continuing it, on in your kids. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was, we heated our house with wood growing up. And yeah. so... There was days where we would go and, I don't know, six, eight hours cut wood and wow. bring it back. And people would call us and say, hey, we got these trees. You guys want to yep. come cut them down? Sure and do. We had a bulldozer on property, a backhoe. So we, like, kind of just grew up doing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my my dad's a pretty gifted guy um, in terms of like construction and building. So he built his own house. Mm. Took mm-hmm. him four years. He worked his day job and then did that on the side. And so wow. just got exposed to a lot of things like that. Um, so yeah, wor- working was like a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a part that was instilled early. And I think there's times where that value is healthy, and then there's times where that's unhealthy. And yeah, part yeah. Of you said st- I appreciated what you know the hard work values that he instilled in me. Did you appreciate it as a ten year old kid and a thirteen year old kid, or is that a retrospective mindset? Yeah, you know, it's definitely retrospective. I do think though it was the primary way that my dad and I spent time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the <clears throat> some of my brothers were drawn more towards that physical labor and some weren't and so I kind of noticed that um growing up you know it was I think for me it was probably a way that I felt like value and Mm -hmm. felt like I could you know I was learning things Mm -hmm. yeah so um no I think a lot of that's come come later Mm -hmm. you know but yeah so you talk about soccer. So I'm guessing yeah. that as you started to be a teenager, getting involved in that kind of stuff through school, through extracurriculars. Yeah, soccer turned out to be a big thing for the family. We specifically, I just did kind of the, you know, the leagues growing up where, you know, you <clears throat> kind of the community league. We played yep. at Green. And mm-hmm. then that progressed and went into a program called ODP, which was Olympic Developmental Program. Oh, wow. So that ended up being like, you know, a lot of Sundays my dad would take me six mm-hmm. thirty, we would drive up to like Cleveland for certain training to be around certain coaches. Yeah. To try out for different things. And so that kind of kicked things up a notch and then joined a club team through middle school into high school. <clears throat> and then yeah, I was fortunate that had enough gifts, but I think there was also like an internal drive. Mm-hmm. Um I don't, I don't know. At some point, I think I realized that it was an opportunity that mm-hmm. I could try to capitalize on. So I was the kid who I think I had decent decent skill, but I took some of that hard work ethic and yeah. applied that in. So on my own, I would train, run hills in my backyard. Wow. Um, and so I don't know. For me, it was I wanted to be the best player I could be. Um, so I ended up being able to start. I started every every varsity game I played in from wow. my freshman year. So wow. ended up getting a soccer scholarship. Yeah. And you um, said for the family, are there, is this his brothers are playing too and yeah, mom and yeah. dad are driving <clears throat> you all over town mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. At some point my parents, cause it, you know, with five kids, um, I would get rides with like teammates mm-hmm. or other parents would just help out because my parents couldn't take us everywhere. And so a chunk of my life I spent kind of going to tournaments with other parents and mm-hmm. my parents were, hey, you can go. You just, yep. we can't take you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, things were different back then, obviously, yeah. where that was pretty When you normal. were driven. So you were yeah. willing to, to find the way mm-hmm. to get there. That's cool. Now, that tends to, in this day and age, equate to a, you mentioned even Sundays at six, dad would drive you places. So we haven't touched on your church life growing up yet, but I'm assuming that there is some, this is a lot of stuff fitting in here. Ice cream, hard work, <laughs> chainsaws, and soccer. Yeah. Where does Jesus fit yeah, into where that? Does Jesus fit in? <clears throat> so we grew up in a church um, here in the Akron area, and we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So that was pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> um, we had a really good youth group when I was 
you know, the first early part of my teenage years um, on Wednesday. So that was pretty normal. Mm -hmm. And then um, honestly, I think one of the things that happened with my parents, because I had three options to go to church. Yeah. At one point, they're like, you need to be at one of those. Okay. So they had some they gave us me some flexibility. Now, they weren't always willing to um, like not go themselves. And that's that's where you're finding the rides. Yeah. Yeah. So they were gracious to let that kind of play out. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I guess they probably noticed. I never really realized it at the time, but there's a lot of sacrifice by parents, right, to mm-hmm. help their kids be able to step into the things that they think that Absolutely. they're able to step into. So now as a parent, <coughs> um, kind of see that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, church was good. It was, uh, I, it was a place where there was a strong community there growing up. Um, the church definitely unfortunately went through some pretty, pretty challenging years, some divides and some of that stuff. And, you know, for me, I think there was some good things that were instilled in me. And then there's some teaching that you realize over years, you have to really come to grips with and think Mm -hmm. through and, okay, this is exactly like God's heart on certain things. Mm -hmm. And some of that's a maturing process. Some of that, you know, some churches are kind of loaded a little bit more with illegalism or fundamentalism. So sorting some of those things out was actually uh, very challenging mm-hmm. for me. But <clears throat> getting the basics and getting the foundation and getting um, people around you that um, were trying to point you in a good direction, mm-hmm. um, having some Christian friends and families, you know, there was a lot of great memories there. Yeah. yeah. So that's how church went. But what was your relationship with Jesus Yeah, that's like? a great question. So you'll s- so for, for me, it was uh, kind of the, that early understanding of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a very small understanding. I was about six years old, and there was a missions conference. So once a year, our church brought in missionaries, and we did this big conference. And um, it was the first time where someone had kind of shared, you know, Jesus died on the cross, and he loves you, mm-hmm. and uh, you can accept him into your heart. So I remember going home <clears throat> after that missions conference, and uh, talking to my parents about that. Hey, the missionary was talking about this, and he was telling these stories, and he was talking about Jesus died on the cross. And I was like, I think I believe that. Like, I want to mm-hmm. make ask Jesus into my heart. And that was the extent of it. Mm-hmm. That's really, you know, for the a The six, classic six-year-old yep, yep. understanding level yep. baseline. And so I would say that was my initial response. Um that, yeah. And then that was a foundation. God, God's always present in your life, it sounds yeah. like, through your family, through your church, this community. And so it's this consistent presence around you and also within you. Like yeah, yeah, for you sure. Say that yeah, and I, <clears throat> my grandparents on both sides of my family were followers of Christ. Everybody went to church. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really strong heritage. My grandfather helped start CBCA. He was on the oh, initial wow. founding board member. Wow. So there was, you know, think about the... Again, not something I probably realized till in my 20s, but passing on that mm-hmm. heritage mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and kind of that's what mm-hmm. we did. Um, that's kind of what our family identified with Christ. And yeah. So to have four grandparents who followed Jesus. Um, that's not like, something many people yeah. in this world could probably say. Yeah, my, <clears throat> my grandmother's still alive. She's uh, in her 90s. Wow. And so my, son's, my son and I still go over there and mow her grass every other week and um 
she's a great storyteller. So she's the one who kind of like keeps passing on sure. the family stories. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> and I'm going to date this for a moment here, but at Grace, we have a, a sermon series called Breaking the Cycle. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in it right now, but um, if you are listening to this later, please go and listen to that if this is something of interest to you, because Jeff has been talking about that there's these cycles and they could be positive cycles or negative cycles. And this sounds like, so the heritage, the you know assumed faith, it's just part, it's part of your surroundings, your environment. Not everybody has that, but it sounds like this is a really healthy yeah. part of that life for you. Yeah, so you're, <clears throat> I for sure, my biblical worldview was shaped mm-hmm. by, referring back to kind of that series, like what mm-hmm. shapes you, like that's a huge shaping mm-hmm. of kind of our family, mm-hmm. yeah. So. And school-wise, did, you mentioned CVCA. Did you go to a Christian school throughout I did, your life? Yeah. So I went to Chapel Hill and then CVCA. Okay. Um, again, so... <clears throat> School's not, filled with broken people oh, still. Yeah. However, there's the baseline. There's chapel on Thursday. And, you know, there's going to be oh, yeah. a yeah. biblical worldview. For sure. Available yeah, and that you. was very much locked in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, never, I never, never felt like I was pushing against God or trying to... Um, figure him out. I think the piece that I really struggled with, you know, when you're raised in a church where um, some of the things that you're taught um, are a little bit more like about following the rules, Mm. sometimes it's hard to really get your head around what does it mean that God loves you? Mm. And so you have Mm -hmm. this relationship that's more contractual. And Mm so every time you sin, you struggle with believing that God still loves Mm -hmm. you. And so when that's hardwired in, I think it, it, that, takes time mm-hmm. um, to mature through that and mm-hmm. um, so yeah th- that was probably something that I really had to work through mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> later recognizing that our church um, that I grew up in didn't have the most outward focus mm-hmm. in terms of like mm-hmm. reaching out mm-hmm. and um, really trying to evangelize and reach people and so that was a big part of my Mm-hmm. journey that developed later in life. Actually, <clears throat> the defining moment for me probably where that all changed. I was 16 years old, and my parents had um, set up a mission trip for my brother and I to go to Russia. Wow. Russia. So three-week trip. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> one of our family friends that we knew very closely, he actually grew up in the area here. Uh, after he graduated high school, packed a bag, 18 years old, moved to Russia learned the language um, word. <laughs> and basically started churches and wow. was kind of reaching people in um, kind of the oh <clears throat> near um, kind of the far northeast part of Russia. So, okay. you know, really far from Moscow, um, trying to work in these northern villages. And so we went, my brother and I jumped on a plane and um, How old were you? I was 16. Okay. And we had like, you know, it's it's kind of right communist there. It's the run. So we had like thousands of dollars stashed in our underwear and oh like our pockets gosh. and we're like smuggling in. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like the first real epic adventure. Yeah. That my parents are just like, yeah, like left see green guys. for the first time. And you went to Russia <laughs> with money in your pants. <laughs> so we get to the airport and we're like sweating bullets. My brother and I are like, we're, so it's me and my brother and this other guy who's the missionary's brother. And the three of us are going in and we're just praying that we get through here. And, you know, the, in Russia, they <clears throat> when we got off the first airplane, 
and went to the little village like they pulled up in a with a john deere tractor and a trailer like it was like super like oh rustic gosh. way out there you're like the and Pevensey kids in Narnia, just like a horse and cart was, coming to pick you up at the train station. Exactly. <laughs> a whole different world. And so that opened up. We were we went in the winter because the villages that um, this missionary was trying to get to could only be accessed through ice bridges. And so in the winter, the ice bridges, you could drive across them and visit these villages. Mm-hmm. And so we would go into these villages, go into the prisons, and I found out later that like 50% of the people had tuberculosis. And so we got home and we were telling my mom and she's like, what were you guys doing? <laughs> like, oh, we were just handing out I'd medicine. I'd really like to talk to your mom about this entire experience. <laughs> she's like, oh, oh my gosh. Like, I don't know. We're, you know, we're 16. We don't care. We're like, this is awesome. You're going to prisons that are only accessible by ice bridges. And yeah. I can't even wrap my so mind around that. Northern Russia, um, you, some of them were so far out into like 12 hours across just frozen roads we would drive and you would drive into the main gate because if they tried to leave they would just die of the cold oh my gosh and so at that time it was really fascinating like you would see like a one stripe on a guy's uniform or two stripes or three stripes and three stripes was like a mass murderer but the only thing is um they had a 22 year life sentence or they had a 22 years, like that was the, the, the longest max. sentence, the max. And then they would just return them back into society. Wow. That's if they didn't die, like cutting right. trees down in the forest in the winter. So we go in there, we're doing that, and we go to orphanages. And the moment that I'll never forget is um, <clears throat> we're into this far northern village. And um, he's like, I think there's this lady that we're supposed to meet. And I'm hoping that she's here. And um, so we finally connect with her. It's like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, the language barrier is a thing. So my brother and I are always trying to kind of pick up what's going on and through the translator and all that stuff. And the missionary is like, hey, she's, she wants us to just sit down and spend the night to pray with her, take an hour. He's like, she's been praying for seven years mm-hmm. that another believer would show up. Wow. And so I remember thinking, like, man, like, to see his faith who like left goes to Russia like God's like starting churches and remember thinking like here's this lady who's been her faith is that she's been praying that someone would show up to encourage her as another believer and so I think that moment like has ever been seared on my heart from uh like just seeing somebody who's willing to like give their life or something like that you know So it's one of those like tapestry moments, right, yeah. where God weaved those things together on a perfect timeline for you to be there at that moment. So you can't, it's, you know, evidence for you to say this, I, I witnessed this, nothing else could have done that but God. And, right. and I saw that and it just bolsters your faith. And yeah, so that, <clears throat> that became a real defining moment in my faith journey. I, I didn't even understand the impact of it, but like you're saying, that locked in what I had heard, what I thought I believed, and then saw someone else yeah. live that and then personally experience it right. and kind of pushing all those things together. Yes. It, it cemented something in my heart for sure yeah. that later on would be, mm-hmm. um, I think, a catalyst in my own life. Right. Yeah. So there you have the six, six-year-old, I think I want Jesus <laughs> right. in my heart, and then right. the 16-year-old, I'm in an Arctic tundra and I'm witnessing God do yeah. miracles 
okay, now it's it's frozen in, yeah. <laughs> into me. So I came back, and I think a couple months later, I got baptized um, at the church. Mm-hmm. But still, like, <clears throat> even at 16, you think about what you understand about God or faith, and it's still so small. Mm-hmm. You know, so much growth to still do, to, sure. to understand. Um, and so... But that was definitely a kind of a big, big moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you probably didn't think you'd be a professional pastor at this point. You probably think you're going to be a professional soccer player at this point. Yeah. Or what do you, what are you <laughs> thinking as far as you, the rest of your life? You know, you're yeah. 16. I think you're meeting Kelsey around this yep. point. Yep. So we had met, and her dad actually came and pastored the church that I grew up in. Okay. And uh, she goes into that a little bit more in her podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Unscripted, if you guys want to ever check that out. Great, great story. But met her family. Um, again, like we were the family that was there to help move in the new pastor. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. <laughs> so, Lots of um, kids that know how to carry yeah, heavy things. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, – but we, you know, we started to get to know each other through church, really. And then she was a year ahead of me in school. Um, so we didn't have a ton of overlap there. But, um, yeah, we started dating in high school. <clears throat> we became really, really got to know each other. She was in eighth grade. Um, and then that kind of just developed, and it was, yeah, really developed into a really strong friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the middle of all that, soccer was still kind of the yeah. thing that, I wouldn't say it was driving my life, but it was at the top. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was you know, the thing that really took most of my time outside of hanging out with Kelsey and church. Mm-hmm. And well, I still worked a ton. Yeah. So got yeah. that chainsaw. Got it. Had the chainsaw. <laughs> <clears throat> my brother and I got hired to um, do all of the landscaping for occasions party center. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a big plot of land. Yeah. Like 14 and 15, we were like the caretakers <laughs> of the property. <laughs> Sounds and like so, a great deal for them. <laughs> so like, wait, you guys are paying us like five twenty five yeah. an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we did that. We washed dishes after the wedding receptions. Yeah. Um, we would go from soccer games at CVCA. We would get done at 9 o'clock on a Saturday. Oh and we'd go wash dishes till like 2 in the morning. Wow. So my brother, yeah, yeah we were kind of... Work ethic, all Yeah. Right. Bought my first car when I was 16 with my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we became pretty independent mm-hmm. um, pretty quickly. Remember when I left for college, I had my own credit card, my own checkbook, and my own car. Yeah. And I think I realized too, like <clears throat> my parents did fine financially, but I had an eight-year-old brother when I left for college at home. Yeah. And so I talked my grandpa into getting me co-signing for a cell phone. And so from 16, I paid my own cell phone bill. Wow. I was like, I might as well get Kelsey a phone too. So oh I bought her gosh. a phone. So I've been pretty independent. Yeah. Um, you know, here and there. My parents had had to chip in for to help mm-hmm. us out with different things, you know, when we were younger. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the way it was, mm-hmm. like, ready. So per- I think soccer was an opportunity. Having the independence was an opportunity. Um, and once what did well with soccer, and so accepted a scholarship at Nyack College in New York. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, 20 miles outside New York City. Mm-hmm. And really, it, it was another defining moment because <clears throat> it was not the place that I was initially planning to go. Okay. And I could, I could not make sense of that decision yeah. other than I remember wrestling that through and finally feeling like, 
I need to go here, but it wasn't kind of the plan from the beginning. Mm. And so, but I didn't know what was behind that door. Mm-hmm. Like God was opening up something that I couldn't really understand. And <clears throat> I remember going to visit and hanging out with the soccer team at Nyack, and um, it was really fascinating. It was a bunch of, half the team were missionary kids from, like their parents were missionaries from like Ecuador, uh, hmm. Mexico. We had, uh, and then there was other international, it was very international. So we had a kid from uh, Mozambique, Africa, hmm. Germany, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, wow. So we had a very diverse. Is um, that a Christian school? Christian school, okay. yeah. So Nyack is tied to <coughs> Christian Missionary Alliance. Okay. Um, that school started as a Bible college and a missionary college and then became a liberal arts school. Hmm. So, okay. yeah, I was drawn to the. I was drawn to the kids on the team. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, this is an awesome group of people. Yeah. And then there's New York City in the backdrop. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to those athletes kind of tell their story of they're not just there for soccer, but like we serve here. We're in Brooks. We're in Queens. Wow. We go here. And so I was like, wow, that is. There's like, another layer of opportunity yeah. here that and matches what was important yeah. to you in your youth. And I was like, okay, so you guys are like athletes who are taking your faith seriously. That's and so that was probably the thing that drew me the most. And it's not that that wasn't happening at the other college I was also looking at. Mm-hmm. I just, this seemed so tangible yeah. that there was like, I don't know, I want to be a part of this. So. Mm-hmm. Set out to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, again, most of my family hasn't left kind of the Akron Green area. Mm-hmm. I have one aunt that lives in Boston. And so that was hard. <clears throat> um, that was hard on my mom mm-hmm. because of the distance. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was a thing that God was opening up. And so didn't know that when we, when we made that decision, it would be almost 12 years before I came back wow. to Akron. Wow, yeah. yeah. So um saw my youngest brother only once or twice a year for like 10 years. Wow, the eight-year-old. So mm-hmm. he grew up with you just yeah. gone from the So house. those are some weird family dynamics mm-hmm. that, you know, some of my brothers, we've stayed close mm-hmm. through that. And some of the, we've had to like work to reconnect mm-hmm. just because of that gap of time. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, when you're, when you're almost 20 and your youngest one's mm-hmm. eight years old. So <clears throat> that's been, that was kind of a big part of that journey. Um, so yeah, we got out there. Um, I would say the Nyack was a place where, sure, soccer was a big deal, um, but probably the thing that happened that changed the trajectory of my life was I was in the mailroom. Um, right, so these are back in the days where, um, like mail came out of paper? I yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you go and get your mail <laughs> yeah, okay. and you have a mailbox. Yeah. And um, in the mailroom was like the central hub where everybody yeah. went to get their stuff. And there was a bulletin board, so to say, and it always had like job opportunities or flyers for, mm-hmm. you know, where students could get involved. And <clears throat> on that on that mailroom, fly, on that, there was a flyer on the, in the mailroom that said um, opportunity with a church plant. And, you know, they would have little pieces of paper yep. where you would take the piece of paper Pull and a number, a phone, yeah. phone number. And so called that number and we uh, were like, OK, the Lord just was opening up a door to be involved in New Jersey at this church plant. 
then we met with that pastor and we went and visited and we heard the vision and mm-hmm. there was about four four to five about probably five core families mm-hmm. so think 20 people that were starting to trying to start a church to reach their friends and neighbors wow and <clears throat> they wanted to hire college students to come in and basically set up church mm. um run the children's programming mm-hmm. and kind of make church happen so that as they invited their friends and neighbors, there they could system in place. greet them, yeah. meet them, and like actually go to church with them. Yeah. And so it turned into, over time, about 15 or 20 of us college students who showed up on the weekend. Wow. We, we kind of, um, we did portable church at the time because they were just yep. starting. We were meeting in a YMCA, so we'd set church up. So we're all like in this brand new fun church planting ministry. Wow! And then this they is would like take teammates us. of yours, classmates, who all was involved. So it was uh, <clears throat> we Kelsey and I were one of the first ones in. Okay. And then there was another couple people from um, a university Christian school down in Philly. Mm-hmm. So we then recruited our friends to kind of come mm-hmm. and jump in and be a part of all this, and uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, I learned how to set up the drums. I learned how to run the audio snake. Mm-hmm. We set up tables and chairs. Still moving heavy things. Still moving heavy things. <laughs> and um, was just the excitement of being with a group of people who were trying to do something unique, mm-hmm. um, trying to create a space where they could teach the Bible but be relevant and engaging in a culture that was moving far from God. Um, and so we bought into that vision and God, man, we, <clears throat> that's what I mean. Like looking back, I never thought that little slip of paper mm. would have turned into mm-hmm. like helping start a church. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe a very long investment. Yeah. So we, we ended up, that church when we were there went from about those 20 people to 700. Wow. And so we were on kind of the team that helped kind of grow that. And um, yeah, I was part of that story is, Moving from just kind of helping out as a college student to mm-hmm. taking more ownership and overseeing those teams, and um, I did that every I did that every weekend of my every weekend of my four years mm-hmm. of uh, being undergrad. Well, thinking even that legacy we talked about—that is the legacy. You're diligent, you're faithful, you're hardworking, and you saw it through, and that just mm-hmm. continued on in the way that your parents trained you up yeah. and their parents trained them up. That's amazing. Yeah, so <clears throat> it was a amazing journey to see God working through that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, my freshman year, so I went to school on a soccer scholarship. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends I met out there on the soccer team was out there on a golf scholarship. So he walked on the soccer team and made the team, but he was on a full ride for golf. And he was like, hey, I know you don't really need more money for scholarship, but you should try to make the golf team. Mm. So I was like, okay. So he was like, come on. Well, like after soccer season, we spent yeah. like two months training, hitting golf balls, practicing, and then I tried out for the golf team and made the golf team. <laughs> so now I was a double athlete doing two sports. <laughs> and again, God opened up free golf for four years. Mm. I went down to North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, traveled all up and down the East Coast mm. playing college golf, um, gotten better and better at that. Simultaneously... Um, my freshman, at the end of my freshman year of college, um, at the church where we were working, <clears throat> I met a guy, and right before 9-11, he had started building a golf course. 
And so <clears throat> he had like 50 of his buddies who pulled all their resources and were trying to build like a, a nationally, to build a nationally recognized golf course. Wow. It was the, uh, have you heard of DeLorean, the car guy? Mm-hmm. So it was the DeLorean property oh, in New Jersey wow. on a horse farm. That and sounds very unique. <laughs> yeah. So he bought the property, <clears throat> but when 9-11 happened, they, ba- they basically went under financially. Wow. What happened though was Donald Trump came in and bought out the bought them out. Okay. And he stayed on as the president of the club. So I'm at church one day and he's like, Hey, you want to come work for me? And I was like, Really it would be working for Trump, the Trump organization. Wow. Because Donald Trump was then starting to build his golf empire. So this is just to stay this. This is before yeah. politics yes. and any of that yeah. stuff. This is not Business a political thing. Yeah. So at that time I was like, sure. So <clears throat> he's like, Okay, when school's out um, you know, I'll get you set up. You're talking career, like post-college, you've graduated. No, this is my freshman year. Oh, gosh. Freshman year <laughs> of college. Two sports. So I call my Golf mom. Course. I'm like, I'm not coming home for the summer. Oh, my gosh. I've got this opportunity. So my first day on the job, I'm going to caddy. So my other friend who was the golfer taught me how to caddy, mm-hmm. like, real quick, as he was doing that at another country club. And <clears throat> so he is like, hey, you'll be fine. Like, so my first day on the job... I'm caddying for my friend who goes to the church and Donald Trump. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from that day forward, every time Donald Trump came to the club, he, he usually played with the president. And so I caddied for Donald <laughs> oh Trump gosh. for about two years. And I would alternate on and off with a couple other guys, but he was either in Florida or New Jersey. So almost every other weekend I was working directly for... In all your spare time. Yeah. <laughs> So that started opening up a whole nother arena. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing soccer, I'm doing golf, I'm at the church plant, and I'm working now at this golf course. Yeah. I mean, so it was was $500,000 to join that club. Wow. It was one of the most prestigious courses in the area. Um, It was, you know, kind of the best of the best of the best. So they spent about $55 million to build the course. Oh my gosh. so it's <clears throat> it's had some pretty famous tournaments there now, and um, so every day, in a sense, I was hanging out with millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. Okay. So that changes little green <laughs> so, Ohio boys' yeah. mindset and, or opens um, your eyes to a whole new world. I started to see life through the eyes of um, people that were very wealthy, and I also started to see the, uh, life through the eyes of people that were very broken. Mm-hmm. And so I think the watching that play out. It sucked me into like a <clears throat> in an unhealthy way. Like mm-hmm. I was caught up in the mm-hmm. making the money and doing all that stuff for sure. And part of that's just the next mountain to climb when you're sure. early twenties and you're trying to figure life out. And there all this opportunity, mm-hmm. so, you know. So my work stuff turned into almost like being a workaholic. Like mm-hmm. there were days where I'd probably work fifteen hour days, mm-hmm. six seven days wow. in a row. You know. So wow. that was all consuming in a lot of ways. But at the same time. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, chasing the dollar and some of that good, some of that bad. Um, <clears throat> but in that, recognizing, I know, so at the church, we were ministering to a very wealthy group of people. Mm-hmm. And at the golf course, it was also like my day job. Mm-hmm. And so I started realizing that a lot of the trajectory of the people's lives that I was around was career, was their profession, but 
at some point, you know, they would crumble mm-hmm. or it wouldn't like stay together. Or had a really close friend who was his business went under during the financial crisis mm-hmm. in 08. And right before that, probably 06, committed suicide. Uh. And so I remember going to work that day and like, he's gone. Mm. And you would think like, we had everything, Success didn't he? Success doesn't mean. And so <clears throat> here I am, 21 years old, being shaped by this reality. And, you know, I never knew that God was going to use that for like people skills mm-hmm. that I never would have like learned mm-hmm. that's helped me in ministry. Um, Did you say the president went to your church yeah. as well? So there yeah. was at least a foundation. Were you able to, I'm sure there's stories you could tell of sharing oh. faith or just watching God work even in the relationships mm-hmm. in that space. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was funny because the other Another guy at the church also became a member there mm-hmm. just so he could hang out with his other friends who go to church. Yeah. And um, about 80 or 90% of people that lived out there had country club memberships. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it's kind of the community. It's mm-hmm. where you gather, it's where you hang out, it's it's the way of life. Mm-hmm. It's like um, a Sam's Club membership there. You just, that's where everybody goes on Sundays <laughs> yeah. after church. So, um, yeah, I, I, the things I learned, um, what I was exposed to, I mean, Donald Trump would show up on a helicopter. I'd pick him up on the fairway. I would wow. serve that entourage of people, and I would get paid buku bucks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 20, 21 years old. I think when I was 22, I was cleared $100,000. Oh, my gosh, Nate. And I had cash stuffed in my car, like yeah. in my glove box. I had, I had connections to basically we could pick up the phone and say, hey, we work at Trump National. Can we come play your club? Sure. We have a day off. Sure, sure. come on down. Like that was kind of the life of yeah. and me and my creeps, buddies who that were creeps in. into <laughs> your framework, right? And yeah. your what you find yeah. value in and what you prioritize. How did that change yeah. things? Or were you just packing it all in alongside of Jesus? Yeah, I think both. Like I was just <clears throat> stacking all that. And that's what I mean. Like if if I got up at five in the morning, some days I would work till midnight. Mm. Because I'm juggling it not being an athlete, going mm-hmm. to school, homework. I didn't even go to half my classes because I was on a soccer field somewhere. Mm. So, <clears throat> and then I, I could manage all of that because I think I'm, I'm kind of wired to be a grinder. So mm-hmm. I can grind really well. And mm-hmm. if I'm in something that I love, it's like it just keeps fulfilling mm-hmm. that. And then um, my relationship with Kelsey we started getting more and more serious mm-hmm. and then we got married my junior year wow, of college. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's an hour, so another like, thing. You're <laughs> also maintaining a marriage. <laughs> so just squeeze squeeze that in to like life. Mm-hmm. And um, those were probably the first two years of our marriage ended up being probably the most, in some ways, the most tumultuous. Because mm. um, I did not really understand what I was adding that commitment of marriage mm-hmm. onto, um, you know, I would be in New Hampshire one week, I'm in Florida the next week, I'm in Alabama the next week mm-hmm. playing soccer, I'm in South Carolina, North Carolina, mm-hmm. then here comes summer, I'm off to the golf course, yeah. so I'm working 12, 13 hour days, back to back to back to back, That's then on the weekends, so <clears throat> if you ask Kelsey and if we had time to sit down and have coffee, there was a point where she would have said, your life, the joy of your life is defined by how much money you can make or not mm. make. 
And she's like, I'm kind of getting sick of just being the scraps. Mm. Like, all these other things. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I just get the leftovers. Yeah. So those were <clears throat> hard years. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, like, if it were a, a ladder or a shelf system, what yeah. were you putting on which shelf, right? We've seen that illustration before. And, and things that maybe are stable, expected, just part of your the fabric of your life, like God and Kelsey, because you've known her since you're 15, 16 mm -hmm. years old, they're just expected. They're there. They're great. And they're not something you need to strive for necessarily mm -hmm. or earn, but they're there. Mm -hmm. So that's not bad or broken, right? Mm -hmm. Except maybe to Kelsey or to God, right. looking at you and desiring your full <clears throat> attention, your yeah. full love and, and passion. Yeah, and that was hard. Mm -hmm. And especially at 22, 23, um, you know, they say most adults' brains, especially males, don't develop their 28. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, it's an immaturity thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was wired to find that fulfillment, to find um, any insecurities. Like I was pushing all that through work. And that's where yeah. that was kind of being satisfied. And so mm -hmm. I was a people pleaser. I could not tell people no. Um, so <clears throat> that was a that was a hard season. We, we, had a, we had a close mentor friend, and we would sit down, and we would call him, like, our come-to-Jesus meetings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, we, we had some, some real things to sort out, mm -hmm. and uh, it took some time, but God was kind of gracious in that and put some awesome people around us to help mm -hmm. us. We had a really strong small group at the mm -hmm. time, um, strong couple that the pastor and his wife of that church um, we spent every Thanksgiving and Christmas with them. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of our, our spiritual parents away from mm -hmm. home. So they leaned into us and they were, um, that John, that pastor, he was very much about like loving God and loving others. And that was kind of his life motto. Mm -hmm. And he was just had a ton of grace. And so we were able to take our challenges and our problems and our struggles and and have someone who had who was just full of grace, mm -hmm. who was like walking us through that. Um, <clears throat> so God worked powerfully. I just because of time, um, I ended up thinking, um, you know, the golf business is awesome. It's great, but I was at kind of the a pinnacle place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in some ways, it was also extremely challenging like I didn't see it as a career thing but okay. it was something that God had definitely used and simultaneously um, I was volunteering at this point at the church as in the youth ministry mm -hmm. <clears throat> and for three years in a row they hired somebody and he quit after nine months mm -hmm. they hired the next youth pastor he quit after 10 months they hired mm -hmm. a third youth pastor and he quit after like 11 months mm -hmm. so when I this was like my senior year um, they're like hey we really think that you're like the, sta the stable volunteer mm -hmm. with our youth ministry. You know all the kids. You have all the relationships. Would you consider an internship while the golf, golf course is closed yeah. in the winter and step into an internship? And so I said yes. Mm -hmm. And I did that. <clears throat> and um, the, the winter rolls through. It was fantastic. And uh, two weeks before the golf course was going to open, I went and talked to my boss out there and said, hey, I really feel like the Lord's opening a door for me to go into full-time ministry. Wow. And so... Was this the first time you felt that way? Or um, were you in school? What were you studying? 
education to be a teacher to be a teacher (laughs) yeah (laughs) so my undergrad was in the teaching degree Mm -hmm. I thought I would I always had a I always was drawn to the idea right yeah mentoring hanging out coaching kids that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um so that wasn't far from Mm -hmm. maybe my purview but I didn't think you know church setting and what I the moment what what I think the moment of clarity for me was I said if if these students are going to take a different trajectory of their life, someone has to introduce them to something different early. And so while they're still moldable and they can still be shaped, <clears throat> maybe youth ministry is a way mm-hmm. um, that would kind of break them out from the trajectory that maybe they've been set on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how or, or, or how could they be following Christ in the trajectory that they're on? One yeah. of those two things, right? So that those could both be healthy, and so that was the thing. And in some ways, I thought I would never get the job at the golf course that I really wanted mm-hmm. because I thought the guy that had it would stay there forever. Yep. And uh, two weeks after I made the decision to leave, they called me and said, hey, we fired so-and-so. Do you want the job? Whoa. <laughs> so is this a conflict for you or you're just no, like, I was, already know? I was, uh, it was my first test mm. of, I felt Temptation. like God was saying this mm-hmm. and I needed to follow that. And um, so I said, you know what, I know that's like the dream job that I probably mm-hmm. would have, like you're thinking I'm crazy yeah. by not accepting that. And um, <clears throat> so thinking about I would have been 24 years old um, in charge of all the programs, the caddy, the outside operations, like running the golf course, yeah. getting tipped out on every outing yep. that came through. I mean, it would have been, mm-hmm. you know. And everything that makes sense to the world. Everything that made sense. And God was like, no, I want you to go hang out with 13-year-old teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we took that, I took that journey and went into being a youth pastor full-time. I also became the facility manager of the church because um, I didn't have someone. And I had kind of a background growing up where that Listen, stuff was just, Listen, we you know. know that Nate Rail so, very clearly is capable yeah. of more than one job at a time. So, so bring it on. Yeah, so wore those hats and... And it should be stated that Kelsey's not sitting on her hands. She's no. also wildly involved in the church and doing all kinds of her own things as well. Absolutely. You two are incredibly she was, impactful. She was, yeah, she was uh, doing an amazing job. And you can listen to kind of her story, mm-hmm. but God was using her powerfully and mm-hmm. building ministry and creating <clears throat> um, like what Miss Christie does here mm-hmm. at our church. And uh, so yeah, we're, we're both now on full time working at this church. All from that piece of paper you pulled <laughs> know, in the mail room at college. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, wow. So yeah, that <clears throat> that was the next kind of big turning point. And I fell in love with working with teenagers. Mm-hmm. There was a, my, just think of like my field trip was to New York City. Yeah. Hey, you guys want to, hey, this Friday we'll go to Rockefeller Center. Hey, we'll go ice skate. Oof, wow. Um, we'll go, we'll jump on the train, 20 minute ride to the garden, jump mm-hmm. out, watch the Knicks. Um, my favorite story was I took all of the youth group to the Knicks game, and the Knicks were so bad that year that they came out on center court at the beginning of the game, and they were like, hey, we just want to apologize for the horrible season. Uh, all the food tonight is free. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I've got teenagers, like, stuffing yes. their backpacks full of food, <laughs> cheeseburgers and Cracker Jacks and sodas. Oh, my gosh. And, um, so – it was. They're it probably was, that is the best night of their life. They're telling <laughs> yeah. that story somewhere some today. <laughs> Pastor so Nate, man, he's the best. We uh, had three kids in my youth group, and when I finished, there was seventy-five kids wow. about, and a ton of adults had bought. And so again, we, I was. God opened a door, and He allowed us to build something for mm-hmm. Him, and um, 
I just got a text actually last week of these kids, their cell phones, still the same number, like 12 years later. Wow. And it's a picture of us goofing around in New York City. And so just the impact of that, like, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, yeah. sometimes you don't know the what takes and what sticks and but mm-hmm. God used it in my life very, yeah. very profoundly. So that was sorting itself out. <clears throat> um, I think, you know, the Kelsey and I were we're still working through a lot of stuff. You know, I, I think part of it was just we we had so many things that we were involved in, so mm-hmm. much opportunity, but it would just create tension and mm-hmm. prioritizing that and maturing yeah. and growing up and um but yeah, God used, um, we loved those years. They were amazing years, mm-hmm. getting to be a part of all of that. Um, you know, and I, I think just to kind of fast forward, if you listen to Kelsey's mm-hmm. Unscripted, um, she talks about, you know, fast forward five or six years, yeah. um, kind of the probably the crisis moment for mm-hmm. our family. And uh, <clears throat> I think in some ways God had prepared that for us. In other ways you don't know what's coming and mm-hmm. so it's it's a just blindside you yeah. and um she went through you can listen to her story she went through a really rough battle with postpartum anxiety mm-hmm. and some depression and i had no idea what sure. that word even was yeah <laughs> so i'm like when that first started happening i was like just get your crap together Ooh, like gosh. what's yeah. the deal That's like un- pull it together like we have this life we yeah. have these things. We have this pace that we have, have kept for decades. Yeah, I have 10 years of roots that I've put in that mm-hmm. now the fruit of that is like blossoming and like mm-hmm. things are happening. And um, for me, it was very difficult. So for about 18 months, she would say the doors were closing and I was trying to force them open. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> at one point we had moved nine times because we couldn't, she had stopped working. We couldn't afford the house. Mm-hmm. We we're in, we tried to move out, but because of the market, the house didn't sell because mm. of the crash, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of potentially underwater. I asked for a raise, but they're like, we can't give you one. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept like, we'll moved in yeah. with our friends. So we moved into their basement. We tried to stage the house to move it. We finally sold the house. <clears throat> so we didn't have a place to live. So our other friends let us stay in their mom's house. We stayed there for a couple months and we moved out of there mm-hmm. into another rental. And then later on, we moved back to kind of Akron and this but, is with babies at that yeah, point moving like it was all just okay. it just turned into this crazy season yeah. and um <clears throat> I was at the house Kelsey Gunn tells her version of the story but her one of her girlfriends was there and I came home and her girlfriend pulled me aside really close friends of ours and she was like hey Nate like Kelsey's not um she's not like functioning and I'm like Ooh what do you mean? Like, I couldn't, I still couldn't, like, get my head around that yeah. reality. And so, <clears throat> so I started a conversation with them, and they're like, well, basically, you know, she needs to be under 24-7 watch. Mm. I think that was, like, the light bulb moment right. where, like, this oh, not, okay. You can't just work harder or try harder to So that's when I, when I started to, like, be open to, and try and still to like, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll make a plan. Mm-hmm. We'll like, like Control. I can solve problems, mm-hmm. right? And then <clears throat> we came home for Christmas break. It was like good family time. We went back and um, it was January 4th of 2013. And it just, the wheels were just completely mm-hmm. fell off. And 
that was kind of the she was outside she was beside herself i went outside and she was said i'm i'm not leaving you but i'm leaving here mm. and so that was like my surrender moment of being mm-hmm. like okay it's time wow like the probably the only plan is to like move our life back to akron mm-hmm. so <clears throat> it was painful mm-hmm. it was difficult looking back god was in that more than we could imagine yeah um but like having to grieve dreams having to Mm -hmm. grieve relationships um and at the same time trying to like is my wife ever going to be healthy again Mm -hmm. you know I remember like those thoughts of like what is this mental health like what to this yeah like what so we moved in with her we left she moved back um And uh, I kind of went to the elders of the church and said, I think the only play that I have is to, like, serve my family by moving them back. And they were like, yeah, that's what you need to do. And so for those those leaders to basically give me their blessing Mm -hmm. to, like, okay. It was a release, I'm sure. Transfer that ownership that I felt, transfer that responsibility back to them and Mm -hmm. be like, look, you guys gave – 11 years of your mm-hmm. life here and but at the same time like I didn't have a job I had nothing mm-hmm. I was basically like I don't know I don't have anything in Akron I just know we have to move and so for four months it turned into <clears throat> three days a week I lived in New Jersey three days a week I lived in Akron mm-hmm. and so I would look, interview here and then I would kind of fulfill my responsibilities out there and also transition mm-hmm. all of my facility stuff and the student stuff and I was trying to like pass all that back mm-hmm. off in a healthy way and so there was there was times where I would drive from New York to Ohio and just cry mm-hmm. I did not know what to do I didn't have solutions I, it was lonely uh probably the angriest I've been at God mm-hmm. and also the closest mm-hmm. um because <clears throat> you're it's like I have nothing else but faith at this mm-hmm. point <laughs> like yeah everything that we built everything that I built everything that I thought I was doing was just done. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was tough. It was, uh, <clears throat> grief was hard. Um, knowing how to lead the family was hard. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but we moved back here. There's so many cool things that God like did in that story. Yeah. Kelsey mentioned a few of them in hers. Mm-hmm. Um, but never thought I would move back to Akron. Mm-hmm. Um, back to Green, w- Ohio, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and I never went out to New York to be a pastor, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know, like, is this my opportunity to leave kind of the ministry and do something different? Because I didn't, I wasn't the kid that grew up thinking I want to be a pastor. Um, really, what happened was <clears throat> I talked to my cousin Kyle, and uh, he introduced me to Pastor Ryan, and then we started conversations. Eventually, Ryan introduced me to Pastor Jeff, mm-hmm. and we started interviewing. Um, And so I'd meet, I think I was eight or nine interviews in with Jeff and Mm -hmm. God kept like keeping that door open. And I remember back and forth, back and forth, I would listen to Jeff's messages. At the time, uh, Know It, Live It, Give It Away had just Mm -hmm. been kind of uh, the vision of that had just been kind Mm -hmm. of redone at the church. And I was just captivated by the vision. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't about going and finding the next church. Um, because in my mind, I didn't really think of it like, I don't know, 
I didn't have churches in Akron that I thought, you know, yeah. what I want to, it just, when I left, it wasn't something that I ever thought would like, yeah. I would come back to. And ministry wasn't something that God had like put in my heart early from a, be a pastor. And so right. that for the moving into New Jersey and that church and moving into grace, it was the vision of what God was doing and trying to reach people far from God. And so those things have always been consistent. And I think back to like that 16 year old kid in the, in Russia and mm-hmm. the missions conference. And I think that's always been the connecting link is mm-hmm. <clears throat> how can we use our lives to help other people know the gospel and how we do that and the platform of that and how God uses each one, whether it's in vocational ministry or in the marketplace, like we can all share in that passion. And mm-hmm. so that that's really been the driver. I was like, if this, if this church is actually doing what they're saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you remember back then, there was the state of the church address. Yeah. And I remember listening to that. Is this church in Akron actually doing all these things? I'm like, and so those were some things that like really cemented that for us. We're like, we would want to go to Grace Church whether or not we were on staff here or not. That's like God amazing. was kind of moving. And that yeah. was like 30 in 30 was kind of rolling yep, out. What rolling little out. project, that kind of stuff yep. was happening. And, yep. and that yep. vision casting. So hearing that based on the church of 20 to church of 700, the kids ministry of three to 75, like you had seen it. You know that God could do it, and you had an appetite to do it again. And this this is the opportunity here in, yeah. in your hometown with family. You mentioned Kyle. I was in his life group at the time. I remember oh, yeah. all of this right. rolling yeah. out from the Akron perspective. I was on staff, and you were my boss when you moved That's here. Right. So. I know. Those were fun years. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It was so crazy. Um, so, yeah, we showed up in Akron. I didn't know anyone mm-hmm. besides my cousin. And, you know, when you leave – when you're 18 and you build your whole first decade of your adult life somewhere else and then you move back it's like I don't actually know anyone that's wild to think (laughs) because I think of you guys and I think of your roots are here obviously green yeah yeah yeah. the the farms all of that stuff the roots are here but everything that sprouted above the dirt was in New York for that time right and then you came back here but there's very healthy roots Oh, yeah. So you could pick up, you know, I'm sure there's farming language that we could say to what do you when you take a plant and you plant it in someone else's yard. (laughs) Like, that's what you could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the culture, we had become cultured out there, right? That New York, that East Coast mindset. And so that was aggressive to shift back. Yeah. Um, But yeah, rekindling old relationships, um, breaking back into something. Um, it had its challenges, though. You know, there was leading in a church where I didn't know anyone mm-hmm. versus a church where I knew everybody from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and so God was gracious and building new relationships and working with new leaders. And um, so, yeah, all that stuff kind of picked up. It, it probably took a little bit longer. But some of that was just the phase of life with Kaylin and Everett and Liam were all two years old and younger. Mm-hmm. So that made those things challenging. Um yeah, but Grace Church, I would say this. I remember the interview with Jeff and Heidi. I was like, Jeff and Heidi, we're not, we're like 20% functioning. Mm. And you want to like bring us on staff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in my mind, churches don't even interview that yeah. that person. Yeah, and they're um, able to state that out loud and be honest about and, that. Uh, <clears throat> it's the same thing Jeff invites people into every time we do discovery. Like our heart is to come alongside people, you know, and we just felt like, God was in that. He was working. He was healing our family. And so we got to be recipients of Grace Church loving us 
mm-hmm. before we were even really in a position to help serve. And the statement that's made there is that we're a hospital, not yeah, a country club. Right. Exactly. Which is kind of a wild thing mm-hmm. to think about. That yeah. That's what you needed. You needed yeah. the hospital to yeah. come and rest while being on staff, which is really incredible that yeah. they saw that in you. They saw the evidence of, um, of the journey that you had been through and everything that you had done and and they were willing to say, yeah, yeah, come here and rest for a while, and we'll we'll build it back up. It's been a decade now. It's been a decade. Yeah. I know, and there's a whole lot of story there to probably talk about and celebrate God's faithfulness. And Well, I think most yeah. recently there seems to be some new passion that you've been yeah. working in. So your position <clears throat> has evolved over time. I don't think you were adult ministries oversight no. when you started, but that's where you are now, right. and you see some new, um, you mentioned men's and women's ministry, which in my understanding is a newer thing even here at Grace. Yeah, it is. And we really asked the question, I think I stated this earlier, but how do we minister to women? How do we minister to men? Sometimes that's through, um, if they're in a marriage relationship, supporting them. Sometimes that's in a position where they're single or single Mm -hmm. again. Sometimes that's, so we just try to really answer that question. Like, how are we resourcing and supporting men and women? And sometimes when they're together, and so it's mm-hmm. opened up a couple areas where, for sure, we can be more intentional about <clears throat> some equipping. And so um, worked the last couple of years, um, just personally, myself, on some other men were kind of stirred. I'll just talk about this aspect. There's a lot more to talk about, but stirred kind of to say, hey, how can we come alongside men and help them um, be encouraged, help them um, have a, a deeper vision for their life we think through like values and principles and um find healing find recovery find that purpose in christ mm-hmm. and um I, I think it became a passion of mine because i look back at my story and it, if i can just make this succinct statement a lot of some of most of the a lot of the pain in kelsey's life especially in the early years was from me mm-hmm. and so I've had to take responsibility for that and I've had to like learn how to grow through that. And so I, and it's a very difficult place to be when you're the one who's supposed to be providing, Mm -hmm. you're the one who's supposed to be caring, you're the one who's supposed to be emotionally healthy and protecting, Mm -hmm. but you're the one who's hurting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what do you do with that? Um, And going back to the series that we're in now, Breaking the Cycle, I remember the moment where I remember thinking I was in a mentoring meeting with a friend I know I want to change, but I don't know how. I don't know how to do something different. And so what that's opened up is other men, and we said, look, we can, if we could step into men's lives and be in the mess and get real and get vulnerable and create spaces where men can feel like they can open up and share and actually talk about what's going on, could God's grace like infiltrate that area and change and transform them? And so... Mm-hmm. And we're like, what he's done in our life, can we, and continues to do, can we kind of open that up for other men? And so it's just, it's just starting, like God's um, got a men's retreat actually starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And um, just trying to be very intentional about that and recognizing there's a growth journey, there's a process yeah. um, that God has for us to kind of step into. And it's actually really difficult to get down to the layer of friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard in all relationships to have healthy friendships, but then to especially help men who may shy away from that or it's unfamiliar. It's, it's just it's not a normal space. 
that, hey, could we intentionally try to create spaces where men can deepen relationships with each other? So mm-hmm. that's been a passion the last couple of years. Um, I think a lot of that's just stirred out of kind of my story. And I would say this, like there's there's so much to say and there's so much I would share. Mm-hmm. And if someone wanted to have a cup of coffee and yes. sit down, I Absolutely. would be an open book to all those things. And um, I feel like I have a pastor's heart from the sense that God's gifted me with that being in the mess and grinding with people, mm-hmm. not afraid of those things. I think God actually sometimes works the most in those moments, in those crises, in those struggles. And so if we can build relationships and step into that together, I think we can actually come through mm-hmm. those things and, and find healing and be transformed. And so that's that's what I love. Mm-hmm. It's um you don't it, it always doesn't always end in a win. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of pain there, often a lot of trauma, a lot of heartache. But to see God like move and change and heal people is pretty exciting. So well, I think there's plenty of relatable things in your story, Nate, like between the sports perspective. Right. A lot of driving yeah. there, a lot of, you know, wanting success, piling it all in, even then workplace stuff, marketplace stuff. You know, it's not always common for a pastor to be able to mm-hmm. relate to that side mm-hmm. of the drive. So that's a awesome thing if you're listening to this and you want to talk more about that Nate sounds like a great person to speak with and and then yeah from the vocational ministry side and and the work there and even work with youth I didn't really realize that so much in your story mm-hmm. so um, and being a dad and being a husband and a worker um, I think there's a lot here so yes we definitely invite you to we'll put in the notes here uh, a way to reach out to us and we can get you in touch with Nate or someone like him that would be willing and able to talk with you and especially you know with this men's ministry stuff guys if you're out there ladies if you're out there and you know someone who would be a good um, person to connect with that in that way there's so many things even beyond retreats but just groups and and it could be the putt-putt league or the basketball league or the bible study or the the 6 a.m prayer group or the workout group there's so many ways that we're getting out into the spaces that we're already in mm, right and, and adding jesus to that so you know um we can bring that into every aspect of life. And I love that that's a result of this, you know, story that you just shared with us. That's the outpouring of that into others. That's yeah. awesome. Um, it's, it's such a privilege to be here. So yeah, I just double down on that. Like if someone wants to reach out or talk, like I would gladly help walk people through that journey or their next step. So thanks for having me. It's been yeah. fun. Nate, thank you so much for your story. You're welcome.